Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Turn with me to Acts chapter 28. Acts 28, our series, Power Today, is coming to a close with this message on Acts chapter 28. I've loved this study. It's changed how I view the book of Acts, and I pray it's changed how you viewed it as well. Maybe you've read the book of Acts and never realized how many times it talks about the Holy Spirit, how many times it talks about miracles, how many times there's supernatural phenomenon. I know this, though I've read the book of Acts many, many times, it's been through this study that I've been made aware in a new way of the fact that you and I are called to live a supernatural life in Jesus' name. When you and I got saved, maybe you've never thought of it this way, but when you and I got saved, God saved us not just to a continuation of our old life, but to the beginning of a new life. He saved us not just so we could live a natural life. He saved us so we could live a supernatural life. I mean, what else could it mean when Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I came so they can have real and eternal life more and better than they ever dreamed of. It's a supernatural life. We know that because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. We're going by what we believe because we understand in the very truest sense that seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. We live a supernatural life. Paul alludes to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, what are you looking at? Are you just looking at the natural world? Is that what shapes everything you think? Is that what shapes what you believe? Paul says, we don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. The invisible realm. That there is a spiritual realm that is more real than the natural realm. He says this, for what is seen is temporary. This world's passing away. What is unseen, are you ready? It is eternal. We're called to a supernatural life. We're called to a life like we read about in the book of Acts. It's a supernatural life that begins Acts 1-8 with the baptism of the Holy Spirit where Jesus said, you'll receive power, dunamis, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's a life of healing. It's a life of miracles. It's a life of supernatural phenomenon. It's a life of hearing the Spirit of God speak to us. It's a life of having angels involved in our life. It's an amazing supernatural life and all for the purpose of our growing close to the Lord that we might glorify Jesus and show his glory to people around us. Amen. It's a supernatural life. In fact, I sat down and, and kind of I've done this a couple times in the book of Acts, just really thinking through and 
doing a survey in my mind of all the supernatural things that happen in the book of Acts. And do you know that in the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, there are 35 specific supernatural events. Maybe you've never thought about it, and I don't think my list is exhaustive. Even as I'm reading it, I've thought of a couple more, but let's look at them. Angels appear after Jesus ascends. We could say Jesus ascending is supernatural, but angels appear afterwards. Remember to the disciples? Then Acts 2, there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind that, that captures the attention of all the people in Jerusalem. Then there are flames of fire on each head. Then in verse 4, miraculous speech in different languages. Verse 5, or verse chapter 3, number 5, a lame man's healed. Number six, the building where they're praying is shaken. Number seven, the sudden death of Ananias and Sapphira. Number eight, imprisoned apostles are freed by an angel in Acts 5. Number nine, the heavens are opened as Stephen dies. Number 10, the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts 8, 17. Number 11, an angel speaks to Philip. Acts 8, 26, and then in verse 29, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip. Number 13, Philip's transported out of the desert. What did we mean by that? He's actually in one place with a person, and the Spirit of God picks him up and moves him many miles away to another location, Acts 8.40. Number 14, Paul sees a light and talks with Jesus in Acts 9. Paul is blinded and healed again in Acts 9. Aeneas is healed of paralysis in Acts 9. Dorcas is raised from the dead in Acts 9. An angel appears to Cornelius in Acts 10. Peter is slain in the Spirit, and God speaks to him in Acts 10. The Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts 10. Peter's rescued by an angel in Acts 12. King Herod is struck down by an angel in Acts 12. The Holy Spirit speaks to the church in Acts 13. Eliamus, the sorcerer, is blinded in Acts 13, and in Acts 14, a lame man is healed. Number 26, Paul's healed and raised from the dead in Acts 14. It's either healed or raised from the dead. We're not really sure what that is, which it is. Number 27, a demon is cast out of a slave girl. Number 28, Paul is freed by an earthquake. Number 29, Jesus appears to Paul and talks to him. Number 30, the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts 19.6. Then in chapter 19, verse 13, a demon beats the seven sons of Sceva. Then Eutychus is raised from the dead in Acts 20. An angel appears to Paul during the storm in Acts 27. Paul is unaffected by the serpent bite in Acts 28, as we'll see. And in Acts 28, verse 8, the father of Publius is healed of dysentery and a fever. So you have 35 specific supernatural events. Now, in addition to that, think of this. There are nine times that there are what we'll call clusters of miracles. That is to say, many people were healed, potentially thousands of people who were healed, certainly hundreds of people were healed. Look at this list. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, Acts chapter 2. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles again, Acts chapter 5. The shadow of Peter healed many, and a multitude was healed, Acts chapter 5. Stephen did great wonders and signs, Acts 6. Philip did many miracles. He healed paralytics, cast out demons, all kinds of things, Acts chapter 8. 
Paul and Barnabas did many miracles, Acts chapter 14. Paul worked extraordinary miracles, Acts chapter 19. Handkerchiefs and aprons from Paul were used to heal people in Acts chapter 19. And Paul heals everyone on the island who comes to him in Acts chapter 28. I mean, that's a lot of supernatural events. Think of it, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, 44 supernatural events happening. We were intended to live a supernatural life, a life where the Spirit of God empowers us, a life where we're bold to talk to people about Jesus, a life where we lay hands on the sick and they recover, a, a life where there's angelic interaction and intervention that we may not even know about. A life where there are signs and wonders that happen. And all of that has happened as we've been in the book of Acts. Many things have happened over the last two and a half years. And I still believe the best is yet to come. But we've been in an extraordinary move of God. It's so interesting to watch as God is moving and to see what God is doing and to see things over time happen that we hadn't seen up to this point. I mean, we have been almost two years before we saw the first person who was blind have their eyesight restored. God is at work. Now, there might be, and I'd say this only because as you're out and about, I know there are some who have taken issue with some of the things that are happening there, bless their heart. I mean, we just, I wish them well, but at the same time, I feel bad for them because, I mean, I wouldn't trade what we've seen for anything. I mean, it's been amazing. But you know, sometimes people have the idea, well, you know, because they've emphasized healing, there hasn't been enough emphasis on salvation. Oh, really? Well, let's let the numbers speak for themselves. I'm just giving you this so, you can, so you're not saying, well, that's his opinion. The numbers will verify what I'm saying. So if we take all the people who've been saved since January of 2022, so let's just, we'll, we'll make it easy. January 2022 to today, we've had 8,499 people who have made decisions for Christ. Come on, that's amazing. There's never been a time in the history of James River where we've had that many people saved in 18 months. I mean, come on. Lord, we praise you. That's awesome. I mean, it's so exciting. Put that in perspective, just on Sunday mornings. We don't take any other meeting, any other thing we do, just on Sunday mornings. How many people have been saved? 3,499 just on Sunday mornings coming forward to receive Christ. Think of this. We've had 2,400 baptisms. Are you kidding me? 2,400 baptisms. It's amazing to watch what God is doing. And then on top of that, how many written testimonies of healing? I'm not the one writing the testimonies. People are sending them in. They're the ones who know if they're healed or not. 3,166 written testimonies of healing have taken place. I mean, come on. It's so amazing. You know, I know this. I know there are, there are 
some outside the church. I'm just giving you that information because if people say something to them, you can, you can just say, well, bless your heart. You know, your numbers, the, the numbers won't support your, what you're saying. You know, there's God is at work. And it's, it's so beautiful to be in this season all of my life. I never imagined we would ever experience anything like this. It's so beautiful to watch, so powerful to watch, so reminds me of what Jesus called us to do when he said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, freely you've received, freely give, and he's empowering us to do that. You know, some... And again, I'm trying to give you a little, a little uh, perspective for your own peace, but also so you understand how we might view this. You know, some might say, well, you know, I don't know that, that miracles are needed today. Some would go so far as to say God doesn't do miracles today. They stop with the apostles, which is really, you cannot prove that biblically. Just straight up. That's, that is an argument that, that is unbiblical. But if we're going to talk about the import of miracles for the church today, let me give you three quotes from three well-known preachers, none of whom are Pentecostal charismatic. I'm going to give you a quote from a Presbyterian. Praise God for Presbyterians. <laughs> give you a quote from a Baptist. Praise God for the Baptists. I'm going to give you a quote from somebody who is would be a part of the reform, he, of reform theology. Here's the first quote. This is from Tim Keller, Presbyterian pastor who recently went to be with the Lord. He says this, one theologian said, if you take a look at Jesus' miracles, Jesus' healings, and that means the apostles' healings, they are the only natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. You say, what? Do you catch what he's saying? Healing's natural. Our world is unnatural. It's not how God intended it. Natural, the way God had originally invented nature, was for us not to die. You were not, you were not initially, Adam and Eve were not created to die, ever. Death is unnatural. Now, we live in a sin-cursed body, so I'm not saying we're going to escape death. I'm just saying that's not how God intended it. It's what sin did. We were in... God originally invented nature for us not to die, not to suffer, not to go blind, not to be lame, and not to fall apart. What happens is when the kingdom of heaven comes into a place and, and we bump up against the kingdom of God, that power in, in many cases at times restores God's intended order. Healing is a part of that. That's what Keller is saying. Let's go to John Piper a Baptist pastor who has since retired, but one of the great pastors of our generation. We ought to be open to the real possibility. This is in a message, Our Signs and Wonders for Today. What he does in the message is he basically takes the cessationist argument, says, here's how they say it. Uh, then he says, here's what charismatics and Pentecostals would say about why God heals. And then at the end, he says, where am I at? Which I think is really interesting. This is his conclusion. We ought to be open to the real possibility that this too might be a unique moment in history. And in this moment, it may well be God's purpose 
to pour out his spirit in an unprecedented revival, revival of love to Christ, zeal for worship, and compassion for lost people, and a missionary thrust with signs and wonders. He's saying we may be in a moment where God is supernaturally, he's saying signs and wonders are happening. Let me give you a third one, Lloyd Martin, uh, David Lloyd Martin-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the last century, pastored Westminster Chapel in London for 30 years. On Friday nights, he spoke. He did an exposition of Romans, and he did it on Friday nights to a packed house for 16 years. Every Friday night, standing room only. Here's what he says. It's perfectly clear that in New Testament times, the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs, wonders, and miracles of various characters and descriptions. Was it only meant to be true of the early church? The scriptures never anywhere say that. These things were only temporary. Never. There is no such statement anywhere. We can produce a number of converts. Thank God for that. And that goes on regularly in evangelical churches every Sunday. But the need today is much too great for that. The need today is for an authentication of God, of the supernatural, of the spiritual, of the eternal. And this can only be answered by God graciously hearing our cry and shedding forth again his spirit upon us and filling us as he kept filling the early church. What is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. That is why I'm urging you to pray for this. When God acts, he can do more in a minute than man with his organizing can do in 50 years. <laughs> Praise God. You know what? We may be coming to the close of the book of Acts, but I believe this, God is still working in power, and for long, as long as he is, I can't wait to see all that he wants to do. And my prayer is that every single one of us, though we move on from the book of Acts, we do not move on from the lessons. That we let the power of God by the Spirit of God working in us flow through us to people around us and to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus Christ. So, as we look at Acts chapter 28, we're going to see the Apostle Paul do some miracles. Very, very interesting. I'll point this out before we look at it. You're going to see Paul experience supernatural power personally. Then you're going to see Paul pray for one person, and they're healed. Then you're going to see Paul pray for the whole island, all of the sick, and they're healed. In other words, what you see is it gradually escalates. There is an increase of the working of God in Acts chapter 28. And I simply would suggest to you that that's what God wants in your life and in my life. He wants to do more than we've ever seen him do before. He wants us to go from glory to glory to glory. He, he doesn't want us to look back and say, oh, that was those were the golden days. No, the best is yet to come. God has more miracles. He has more of his power. He's got services, the greatest services with the most people saved. I believe are still to come by the grace of of God and by the power of his spirit working in us as we look to him, right? But the day that we say, I've had enough, the day that we say, I don't know that I need anymore, that is the day that we'll see 
a diminishing of God's work among us. Let me just say this. The most important thing that anybody could do is just simply to say, God, give me a heart of faith to believe that you're at work and just to rest in that and to celebrate that. And God, lead me deeper in you. Make me stronger in you. Don't let me be the person who is holding back what you want to do in my life, in my family's life, or in the lives of people around me. Smith Wigglesworth said this. I've thought about this a lot the last few weeks. He said this, one man in a meeting filled with unbelief can make a place for the devil to have a seat. Wow. One man in a meeting filled with unbelief can make a place for the devil to have a seat. I... I don't want to be that man. And I know you don't either. And that's why God is working in this place. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 28. And as we look at this, I'm just praying that faith arise in your heart. Whether you're here in this room or you're watching online, whether you're watching from Joplin or the North Campus or the West Campus, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What are we hearing? We're hearing the voice of God. As the Word of God goes out, what happens is God's voice goes out to every single heart, and God is talking to you. And I want to encourage you to let faith rise in your heart, because I believe at the end of the service, God wants to touch. God wants to heal. God wants to show himself powerful in the lives of many people to his praise and his glory. Amen? Let's look at it. Acts chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Here's a map of it. And so you have Paul, and he's setting out from Caesarea, and they go along. Here's Crete, and he tells them, hey, let's stop here. Let's not go any further. But they won't listen to him. They want to get to the west side of the island. Instead, they're caught in a typhoon, a Mediterranean cyclone, you could say. And in in those cyclones, to get to that level, you're, you're talking between 70 and 80 mile an hour winds that caused because of the formation of the Mediterranean Sea swells of 50 feet. I don't know whether you've ever been out on a lake or you've been out on the, the ocean when the waves were huge, but if you're in a wooden boat and you don't have any of the modern ability to stabilize that ship and you're engaging in 50-foot-high swells. Not for one day, not for two days, not for 10 days, but for 14 days. Can you imagine? You're not sleeping. You're not eating. In fact, most ships that engaged in that kind of thing, Josephus, the Jewish historian, was in a boat that was caught in one of those Mediterranean cyclones. The boat was lost at sea, and over 500 people were killed. Just a small percentage of the people made it safely to shore. The miracle that we're going to see here is all 276. The boat is smashed. The people make it to shore. All 276 people, their lives are spared. Why? Because an angel said to the Apostle Paul, 
God is going to spare everybody's life. It was a miracle. It was a supernatural event. It was God at work. No one died. Amazing thing. Now look at it in verse 2. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. Why does he say they showed us? You say, well, that would be typical. People are shipwrecked. Why wouldn't they be nice to them? Because what they normally did is they took people as slaves. Your boat crashes. You're shipwrecked. You've lost your identity. You've lost your ability to prove who you are, where you're from. And in that day, in the pagan mindset, if you were on a boat and it was wrecked, it was because the gods were against you and you were under judgment and people were commonly made slaves. You say, why not here? Well, Paul has a Roman soldier with him. He's got Roman soldiers with him. So obviously, they're really close to Italy now, so nobody's going to mess with Rome. So they're not taken as slaves, but still the islanders are thinking, hey, you only have a shipwreck like this because the gods are angry at somebody or at several people. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. You know what I find so interesting? Here's Paul. He hasn't slept probably for days. He hasn't eaten. He has to be weak. He's a person of influence now. Starts out the voyage as a slave. But by the end, everybody's listening to him. The ship's owner, the, the Roman soldiers, they're all listening to him. He's the most influential person in the group. But here he is. He's picking up sticks. He's getting together wood. He's thinking of people. He's taking care of people. He's serving because that's what a Christian does. They're servants. Look at it, verse 3. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. It was a poisonous snake. We know that because the islanders knew it was. And as it sinks its fangs into Paul's hand, what happens is the islanders are instantly like, okay, he's the guy the gods are after. Look at it in verse 4. So interesting. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice. And you'll notice in the NIV and in some other translations, this word is capitalized. Why? Because that's the goddess justice. We recognize at least her in in uh, this sense, in our country, at the Supreme Court, you've got the statue of the person, looks like the Statue of Liberty person, eyes blindfolded, carrying, holding the balance out. That's the goddess justice. They're saying that justice, he got away, he got out of the sea, but justice did not allow him to live. And so verse 5, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and suffered no ill effects. Now, most people bitten by a snake, they're going to be running around like, ah, you know. I mean, imagine if it's you. Paul is tough. Forget the idea that, you know, being a Christian's a sissy. Paul was a man's man. He was, he was a wild dude. And he shook that thing off in the fire, and nothing happened. Here's what they're watching. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting for a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he's a god. 
Crazy, isn't it? But I mean, that tells you how certain they were it was a venomous snake, how certain they were that he should fall dead. But now all of a sudden, they are mystified because here's a guy, and what should have happened didn't happen, and they recognize instantly what? Something supernatural happened. It's a supernatural life. That God protects people. When people are watching, God can protect you. Maybe he saved you from a car accident. Maybe he saved you from an accident at work. Maybe something around the house, but he protected you. People were watching, and sometimes people say, oh, we were lucky, or oh, what a coincidence. But no, when you're a child of God, he's right there. He's watching. So here they are. They're watching him, and you have to believe Paul uses this as an opportunity to preach the gospel because that's what he's done throughout the book of Acts. But then we read in verse 7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. We don't know who the us is. If it's 276 people, it's a lot of people must have had a big estate. Maybe it's just the leadership group, but as they're being entertained, and he's there, verse 8, look what happens. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Most scholars believe what you have described here is malaria, which would have been common on the island. And so he is suffering a fever, a dysentery, a part of a malarial infection. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. I want you to notice something. Paul does two things. First of all, Paul prays. And then second, Paul places his hand on him and heals him. You know, sometimes, and I'm pointing this out because I think when we, when we read the, whether it's the miracles of Jesus, whether it's the miracles that we see in the book of Acts, we have to read more carefully and think about what's happening here. Because sometimes what happens is we see a need and we just walk right up and we're ready to start praying, but we've never prayed about how to, God wants to work in that person's life. That God desires to do different things in different situations. There's something here. Paul is stopping to pray. And then after he prays, he places his hands on the person, and the person is healed. Smith Wigglesworth, who was arguably one of the greatest faith healers of the last century. His ministry spanned from the 20s, the 1920s, up through the um, 1940s, early 1950s. He actually was in Springfield twice. You can read in the Newsleader archives stories of Smith Wigglesworth visiting town and people being healed. But he's a man who knew what it was to be used by God to heal people. He writes this in his biography on one occasion. He says this, and then with my faith. So he goes to a man's house. The man has been bedridden for months and months. And he's been unable to move, unable to get up. Smith Wigglesworth goes to his house. He says, I began to penetrate the heavens. And soon I was out of that house, I will tell you, for I never saw a man get anything from God who prayed on earth. If you're going to get anything from God, you'll have to pray into heaven, for it is all there. If you're living on earth and expect things from heaven, they will never come. 
You say, what is he saying? He didn't have an out-of-body experience. He's praying, but he's going before the throne of grace. He's praying, but he recognizes everything you and I need is found at the throne of grace. And he realizes that on his own, he has, though he's prayed for many people and they've been healed, he doesn't assume he can just go pray for this person and they'll be healed. He doesn't just hope that God's going to answer the prayer this time. Sometimes that's the best Christians are doing is they hope it will happen. But he spends time in the presence of the Lord praying. You say, how much time is that? We, he doesn't say here, but on other occasions, he says he spent 15 minutes. He says he spent a half hour. says he spent an hour, hour and a half. One time spent three hours praying before he did anything. You say, what's happening there? It's what the old timers called praying through, where you pray until you have a sense God has heard. And in that moment, you've received from him what's needed to give to other people, right? Watch this. He says, the Lord said to me, you'll have nothing to do with this. And I just lay prostrate on the floor. The Lord showed me he was going to shake the place with his glory. The very bed shook. I laid my hands on the young man in the name of Jesus, and the power fell in such a way that I fell with my face to the floor. In about a quarter of an hour, so the, the bed is shaking, and the place is shaking, and he's laying on the floor in the presence of the Lord. In a quarter of an hour, the young man got up and walked back and forth, praising God. He dressed himself, then went down to the room where his father and mother were. He said, God has healed me. The power of God surged through that room. There was a woman in the house who had been in an asylum for lunacy, and her condition was so bad they were about to take her back, but the power of God healed her too. It's an example of praying before you do anything else. And you see this. I mean, you see it in Acts 9, verse 40, Peter sent them all out. So he goes to this lady who's died. People have brought him and said, she's died. Can you raise her from the dead? Here's what he did. He sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. We don't know how long. There's a period there. Does that period represent one minute, 10 minutes, or one hour? I don't know. But he prayed because in that moment, you need God to show you what to do. Do you command healing? Do you anoint somebody with oil? Do you rebuke an evil spirit? Do you, do, does God want to do it differently like he did with Wigglesworth? You won't have anything to do with this. I'm going to shake this place. You see, sometimes we miss what God would have wanted to do because we didn't wait on him to hear what he wanted to do. That's all I'm saying. And I'm just saying we're all on this journey and Healing is, is something God does. And what he does, he does in a variety of ways. And if we're not sensitive to that and aware of that, we might miss what he would have done. He turned toward her after praying. He turned toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. St. Peter, she sat up. Well, an amazing thing. Back to Acts in verse 28 and verse 8. And after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, so you're watching this escalation of God's work. 
the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Everyone healed. Listen, I just want to encourage you. I don't know, you know, we're all in route on this journey of understanding God's work. I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, keep on going. Wherever you're at, don't stop. Don't let disappointment stop you. Don't let questions like, why didn't it happen here? And it didn't happen here, so I'm not sure I believe. Listen, there are some things we frankly don't understand, but I can tell you this. We're in a season where God is doing, I think Piper's right, we're in a season where God is doing something supernaturally wonderful, and we're watching God do things we've never seen before, and I still believe that's going to happen. And God wants to use you. He wants to use me in that. And if the book of Acts is any indication at all, God wants to show his power through you and through me that by healing the sick, we might proclaim the goodness, the glory, and the person of Jesus. Because he is the healer, right? Right?